Hi kids, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk Redhead, the self-care podcast. I'm your host, my name is Liz, and I am the Redhead, and I hope you guys are having an amazing month so far. We are 12 days into June, and I wanted to take this opportunity really quick before I get started to um, just send out a little love and remembrance to the 49 absolute angels that were at Pulse Nightclub here in Orlando uh, five years ago today when, um, yeah, you guys already know. If you don't know, please go ahead and look up Pulse Nightclub and you'll be able to find out the horrific events that happened tonight, but we are here to celebrate their lives today um, and just hug all your loved ones a little bit tighter today, okay? In, In honor of them take a few minutes or you know even even if it's 49 seconds or something like that you know to uh remember them and um maybe maybe do an act of kindness today you know maybe go out and donate blood maybe go out and uh volunteer some of your time um you know at a at a shelter or you know an organization anything it doesn't necessarily have to be like a lgbtq uh related Shelter, although we do not want to support people who are anti-LGBTQ, of course, but even if you go out and do like a beach cleanup, you know what I mean? Just take some time this month to spread a little extra love um, because we definitely need it always, for sure. So um, sending all my love to the families of those that were at Pulse that night. I myself have been to Pulse before, long, long time ago. I think I've only been once or twice, and I just remember it being like the most fun, loving, awesome place. Um, so, yeah. Today is the fifth year since those events, and I just felt like I needed to make sure that I um, mentioned that. So, I love you guys. Go out and hug 49 people today. That would be fun. I mean, if they're, you know, if they're okay with it, obviously get consent before you're touching another human being, especially because we are still kind of in this pandemic, so to speak. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So, um, last week, we interviewed the lovely, beautiful, amazing, talented, awesome, super great... Sabrina, Miss Savory Cooks. She is a food blogger. She is a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. And if you guys didn't listen to that episode, please go back and do so. It's a very yummy episode, so who doesn't like yummy? (laughs) But we talked a lot about uh, food, obviously. We talked about local places we like to eat. We talked about vegan options for things that I didn't know could be vegan. We talked about um, how food is related to self-care and how we can help to strengthen our relationship with food, just all kinds of good stuff. So if you haven't listened, please go back and do so. And make sure that you're supporting Sabrina, guys. Like, go follow her everywhere that you possibly can. Savory Cooks, S-A-V-R-Y-C-O-O-K-S on Instagram, uh, YouTube. You'll be able to find her. And speaking of YouTube, we are talking about doing a Redhead Savory uh, collab. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, um, all month... 
of course, is Pride Month, and I have decided to interview um, some of my favorite people from the LGBTQ plus community, or the Alphabet Mafia, as I learned from TikTok. <laughs> um, and so that was why I uh, interviewed Sabrina. She is part of the community. And today, guys, today, guys, guys, today, <laughs> I am absolutely beside myself to be interviewing my absolute one of my absolute favorite people in the whole world she has been a part of my life since i was like 16 definitely like mid high school um and i have just been so lucky to have her as a part of my family for so long i've learned so much about myself i've learned so much about her i've learned so much about the world she's literally one of the smartest people i know like you can ask her anything random trivia or not and she will be able to tell you i'm telling you she's like don't play jeopardy with this woman because (laughs) she'll kick your butt um but yeah she is a transgender woman and i've had the pleasure of knowing her before and after her um transition and i thought it would be great she is ready to kind of talk about her story i thought it would be great to share her story um i thought it would be great to talk a lot about the changes that have happened in the transgender community both from mental health standpoint from a um like political standpoint as far as like just policies laws healthcare, all of that stuff from way back when she uh, first started going through the transition up until now. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please meet my bestest, bestest friend, Janet. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. We got back from breakfast a little bit ago. Yeah, what did you have? I had a steak and bacon omelet. Yum, yum, yum. I've had coffee so far, so every food sounds delicious to me right now. (laughs) For those of you listening, guys, please eat breakfast. Don't don't just have coffee for breakfast. It's not good. The most important meal of the day. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. Anyway, um, so just before you came on, I was introducing um, um, you to everybody saying that we've known each other for like a bajillion years. And um, I realized that in the whole time that we've known each other, I don't think we've ever really like talked in depth about your whole like transgender like journey. And so I'm really excited to learn a lot more about you and hopefully kind of share some info with everybody else. So well, Thank I've you. never gone into into any details with people. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, you know, it's not like I I live a uh, secret lifestyle yeah. with this. You know, it's uh, it's an open book with me, but it's not. And certainly, you, family, friends, coworkers know I'm trans, mm-hmm. and they uh, and I've always had this uh, understanding with them. Mm-hmm. Anytime they have a question, they want to ask me about myself and about mm-hmm. going through transitioning, all that stuff. Feel free to come up and ask me. Oh, yeah. But I want to try and educate as best as I can to help you understand better. Right. Um, plus, the way I look at it, if I can explain to them and help them understand, and maybe somewhere down the road they're talking with somebody. And... Um, 
say like in passing, they say, hey, did you see where Caitlyn Jenner there is? She's going to run for governor. You know, here she was. She was this athlete as a guy. And now she's transitioned into a woman and she's running for governor. What's with all this anyway? You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand this trans thing, you know, changing sex. Mm-hmm. Any information I pass on to them, maybe they can pass on to that person and help them understand to, I, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit more. I mean, obviously, they can't explain the whole thing, but right. try and give them some ideas of and help them to understand. Exactly. It's like a ripple effect. Um, you know. Yes, that's the word I think I was trying to find. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I do the podcast in general about all kinds of topics is hoping that I can just, you know, awareness is a very powerful thing. Um, and just making people aware of things that they didn't know before or giving them more of an understanding of things that they didn't even think to ask questions about. Um, can be really super helpful, like you said, because they can pass along the word to others or they can themselves, you know, seek more information if they want to learn it. Now, and the condition, and this is going to be the same thing here with when we talk about this, mm-hmm. when I've told my friends and coworkers, anything you want to ask me, just go ahead and ask. Yeah. And I tell them, I do this with the understanding that any question they may ask me, if I feel uncomfortable answering it, or I just feel like I don't want to answer it, I reserve the right not to. Absolutely. You know, and fortunately I can say that anytime anybody has come to me and asked me a question about myself or with the transitioning, I've never had a situation where I refuse to answer. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty much, I think, hopefully the same thing here. I want to be open about this and talk about this because like I said, I've never talked about the details, never talked about growing up with this issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of looking at this podcast that I'm doing with you mm-hmm. as kind of like my verbal autobiography. I love that. You know, I'm not writing a book talking about it. I'm going to speak about it. This is a perfect segue because you just said, uh, you know, growing up through being transgender. My very first question for you is kind of, I think, a really common starter question for something like this is when did you realize that you were transgender? Well, the first recollection, and I can't say that I knew I was transgender because I would have way too young, mm-hmm. but really like around the age of five or six. Okay. I always felt like there was something different about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd see a girl. Mm-hmm. wearing a dress and I go why can't I wear that yeah. you know and I'm t- I can't because I'm told I'm a boy mm-hmm. you know or they're wearing a skirt or something like that and I go why can't I wear that yeah you know I as a young boy I, you know my mom would be going out maybe something she'd be putting on makeup and I'd wonder about to myself why can't I wear makeup I- why can't boys wear makeup gotcha so you were just kind of old that yeah well and then the thought started occurring to me why am i a boy okay why am i not a girl having again no idea what the term transgender is or was right trans you know there were whole different terms used way back now we should probably for the benefit of the listeners so they understand and talking about this 
I'm, I was born in 1956. That means I'm 65 years old. Mm-hmm. 65 so, years young. 65 <laughs> years young. You're 65, whatever. I'm 65. <laughs> some days I feel young. Some days I feel old. But here's the thing. I'm dealing with these feelings. And, you know, you didn't have any place to go to get information. You know, I'm a child of the 60s. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have home computers and laptops. You didn't have Google. You didn't have any place where you could go to try and find out things. You were basically really on your own then if you were transgender and you're dealing with these issues, and with these mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings. So as this little boy, five or six years old, you know, like I said, I'm having these thoughts. Why can't I wear a dress? Why can't I wear makeup? Why can't I have my hair long and styled like a girl? And something told me then, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody you think this because you're supposed to be a boy. Right. And, you know, who was I going to tell? I didn't dare tell my parents because I thought they'd be mad at me. Mm-hmm. They would uh, punish me. Lord knows what they might do if they they uh, thought that I had these feelings. Mm-hmm. So I really isolated these thoughts and feelings. I never expressed it to anyone this time. I just kept it inside. I internalized it and basically just tried to be a boy, mm-hmm. but not feeling like I was. That's got to be really hard as a kid. You know, as a kid, I say a lot of the times that I think that um, we should be sure to talk to youth, talk to children as young as we can. Kids aren't stupid, you know, and, and make them feel comfortable with being able to talk about anything that they're thinking or feeling because kids need help understanding what that is. And so it must have been really hard for you to not have a single person, you know, to be like, hey, I'm feeling this and I don't get it. Can you help me understand? Help me feel like I'm not crazy or an alien or something. Well, and you have to understand, again, we're talking about in the 60s, exactly. 60s and then 70s, the mindset and of the public towards, well, we didn't even really have the, the uh, LGBT community back then. Mm-hmm. Um, people had no idea. Again, if there was nothing out there for me to try and look up and understand about myself, there's nothing for anybody else out there. Mm-hmm. So as far as they're concerned, there's something wrong with you. There's yeah. something mentally wrong with you. You've got some kind of mental illness if you're thinking like this. Plus, here again is the mindset too, what were you dealing with when you, if you were transgender growing up in that time? Back in the 60s, in this country, if you were gay, and let's say you were caught in the act of having sex with another man, Mm -hmm. that was enough, if you were caught by the law, that was enough for you to be arrested, to be sent to court, tried, and more likely than not be convicted for being a homosexual, for being a deviant, and sent to jail. I knew that that was a thing, but I did not realize that that was as recent as the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. I had literally had no idea. <sighs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, of course, 
thinking on this now, when you think about this, they, they're, they're taking these homosexuals and they're trying them and convicting them. And we're going to send you, we're sentencing you to jail. So now think about this. You're telling them it's wrong to be a homosexual. You know, the, they didn't even really use the word gay back then. That's why I'm saying homosexual. That was, that was a term that, you know, would come later on down. Gotcha. But what's the, the theory in this? So we're going to lock you up in jail with a bunch of other men. <laughs> this is the kind of, you know, things you were dealing with with society and in, in dealing with the, all this stuff. That's awkward. You having sex with a man, we're sentencing you to jail and we're locking you up with a bunch of men. Woohoo! <laughs> Yeah, I mean, where's the logic in this? Uh, very, Wait, very little. Cool. Now, here's an interesting thing that I just found out the other day, and this has to do in Great Britain, because Great Britain, Britain had basically the same deal over there. Mm -hmm. It was against the law to be gay. And if you were caught and you were convicted, you were sent to jail mm -hmm. for being gay. There was a law that said you could be sent to jail for that if you were gay. There was absolutely no laws in Great Britain if you were a woman and you were in love with another woman and you were having sex with that woman, there was no law saying that that was against the law and you could go to jail for being a lesbian. Gross. That's so, that's so hypocritical and double standard and misogynistic and if you're gay if you were gay over in great britain in that time you were free you could do whatever i mean if you were lesbian right you, were you could do whatever you want didn't matter yeah. nobody's coming after you if you were gay mm. man we could have a whole nother show just talking about that i had no idea see what i told you guys i'm gonna learn so much today well you know i've, I've tried to do some research and some little things here and there to uh, yeah. i could throw in it's great to know um, then versus now how far we've come and knowing what the, the laws were not only in our country but in other countries too um, can help us to further ourselves now because of course we still have so much you know further to go. Um, so it's kind of great to know these things. I mean, I personally, and this is, you know, this is real talk, it's real talk redhead. I um, have been guilty of kind of turning my, you know, turning a blind eye, if you want to call it, to the news sometimes because it's uncomfortable and, you know, it makes me really sad and I'm an empath and so I get very in my feelings about it. And I'm aware that that's not, um, that can be really detrimental because if I do want to make a difference and I do want to help other people, I need to be educated. And that's why I'm really grateful to you for knowing the things that you do because it's helping me um, to learn more about what I can do, you know, for the well. future. Hey, anything I can do here? I mean, this is why I finally agreed to do this because, you know, when we were first talking about the possibility of me coming on here, I was, eh, of course, yeah. Part of me wanted to, part of me didn't. Be, and part of that was because if I was going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. I'm going to talk about a lot of things about myself in dealing yeah. with this. Um, and if I can, I think the final think made me decide to do it first of all with talking with others who said yeah you should you should talk about you should concentrate on talking about yourself growing up and what it was like mm -hmm. but if I can help in the end if I could help 
any of your listeners out there to understand better and help them, just like I do with my coworkers when they ask me questions. Mm-hmm. And I try to help them to understand so that maybe they can pass it along to somebody else, you know, that ripple effect. Right. We never, you know, they say you never know what's going on in somebody else's life. So there could be somebody listening, whether it's here on the show or somebody that you're talking to that may, you know, feel that they're trans or they know somebody who feels that they're trans, but they're, you know, they don't know where to start the closeted, whatever the case may be. And they can feel um, a little more support about, you know, taking the proper steps to be their authentic selves, you know, like you really never know who you can touch. So I know I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million more, but I really do appreciate that you're on here, like chatting with me about all this. (laughs) Well, I must say, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it. I'm glad I decided to go ahead because yeah. this is to me just my way of trying to help the trans yeah. the trans community to help people understand the rest of us better, but to help people just to understand. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well, so you going back to kind of like your start, you know, you said you were six or seven or whatnot whatnot. Um yeah. from that point up until you started you know taking the steps towards the transition how much time had elapsed um so let's see before we're talking about like around six that would be 1962 okay Mm -hmm. by the time i reached the point and it's a slow slow project uh, going into to get to that point Mm -hmm. because for me it was bits and pieces. Again, remember, there was no internet. There was no Google or anything that you could that you could go to to get information like you can now. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, I got to say, I'm jealous and envious of today's trans kids because they've got everything there mm-hmm. that they can go to, and not just for them, but for their parents to go. Mm-hmm and try and learn and understand about why the child may feel this way or act this there was none of that growing up so it really was in increments where situations happen in unusual ways that helped me to to understand slowly about myself do you have any examples like a specific example yes um i don't know how many you listeners are old enough that they may remember somebody named Ann Landers. Yeah. Ann Landers, well, you would, you're an old soul. You, you know a lot of this stuff. That's true. Um, for the benefit of those who don't know who Ann Landers was, uh, she was an advice columnist. And she, I think, was with the Chicago Tribune or something. But people all over the country would write letters to her for help, for advice. And sometimes it was the most trivial thing. Like, my mother-in-law gave me a meatloaf recipe, and I think it's a horrible recipe. I tried it. I didn't like it. But she's coming now to visit us, and she's going to expect me to make her a meatloaf recipe. What should I do? I don't want to hurt her feelings. You know, things like that, really <laughs> trivial kind of things. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it dealt with more serious things. One day... And I used to read her every day. It was always interesting what, what kind of letter she was going to get and what kind of advice she was going to give. Mm-hmm. Maybe when I was around 12 or 13, okay. 
she had a, a, a letter in her column that caught my attention real quick. And basically, this woman wrote to Ann Landers and said, Dear Ann Landers, I don't know what to do. I've caught my husband wearing my clothes. Why is he doing this? Does this mean he's gay? Does this mean he wants to divorce me? I'm confused and I need help. The first thing that came to my mind as I'm reading this letter is, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, I was starting to experiment with cross-dressing. Okay. You know, I wasn't big time, like I'm, but secretly, I was at this point experimenting with it. And this and, was like mid 70s, probably? Um, early 70s. Early 70s? Late 60s to early 70s at this point. I'm starting to experiment with Gotcha. This. Because, and I'd been wanting to do that for a long time, but I kept resisting it out of fear. But sure. the problem was, it got so strong at one point that it's like I couldn't resist it anymore. And um, <laughs> that led to a whole interesting situation of I would feel the desire to dress. Now, I had no sisters. The only female living in the house was my mom. Mm -hmm. So when she wasn't home, I would go into her closet and I'd try on her clothes. Mm -hmm. That's where I was starting. So I have this desire. I'd fight it for as long as I could till it became too great. And the temptation came, took over and I would try on her clothes. Followed then by this enormous feeling of guilt that I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be doing this. And I'd put the clothes back and I'd swear up and down. Never do that again. Never. And I'd go for a certain length of time. And then the feelings would start up again. Mm -hmm. And it, it would become then a vicious cycle for me mm. of resisting, giving in, trying on clothes, feeling guilty, repeat. Yeah, lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> exactly, yes. So I'm, you know, I'm already dealing with this, but now here's this woman who's writing about how her husband is wearing her clothes. And I'm going, wait a minute. You mean I'm not the only male out there doing this? There's somebody else? There's at least somebody else that's doing this? That must have been and such that, a cool feeling. Well, it was an eye-opener to me. Uh -huh. Now, the answer that Ann Landers gave was also amazing to me. And, and we're going to have to go into a little sidebar here because we're going to need to explain the difference between a cross-dresser and somebody who's transgendered. Mm -hmm. But the answer she gave to the wife is, it is nothing wrong with it. Some men have the compulsion to want to dress up in women's clothes and display female um, attitude, female mannerism. <clears throat> it does not mean they're gay. The majority of men who like to do this aren't gay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that he wants to divorce you. And it's just perfectly normal. It's harmless. There's nothing wrong with it. Doesn't mean, also she added, it doesn't mean he wants to change his sex and become a woman. Mm -hmm. He just simply likes to dress up in women's clothes. Now, here's the little sidebar because this might be a little confusing for some people. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between a cross-dresser and transgender? Because there is a big difference between the two. Mm -hmm. A cross-dresser is 
um, a man, usually, although there are rare cases of women who can be cross-dressers. Mm-hmm. But the man, like, like Ann Landis was saying in her response, who likes to wear women's clothes, display female mannerisms, but they only want to do it for a short bit of time. Mm-hmm. They're not interested. They're happy being men. They're not interested in wanting to go on hormones. Mm-hmm. They want to um, go through having the surgery that will physically change them from male to female. They're happy being men. They just want to occasionally display the mannerisms and the appearance of a woman. Now, a transgender male, yeah, when he puts on women's clothes, he's doing it because he identifies with being a woman. Mm-hmm. And he, wants to, he doesn't want to just display the mannerisms and the appearance of a woman. The transgender male wants to eventually be able to go through the surgery, become female, become a woman, live their life as a woman. Right. They have the, the condition they call gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's a big difference, and that's why I just wanted to explain that for listeners so they understand what's the difference between a cross-dresser. Yeah, it's two men, say, who like to wear women's clothes, but one man doesn't want to – he's happy as a man. He doesn't want to change his sex. Right. The other one does it because he identifies with being a woman. Right. And it's his goal to eventually transition into a woman. Right. I am really glad that you kind of – clarified the differences between the two. And also I want people to understand that um, not, you know, pretty much everything in life is not black and white. Um, Things can be um, overlapping. Things can kind of go hand in hand. Um, But a lot of people don't realize the difference between that. I know when I was younger, I wasn't sure what the difference was, you know, and I know that I've obviously learned since then, but there's still a lot of people out there that aren't sure what that means. So I'm really glad that you clarified it for her everybody well yeah I, I i feel like it's important to like i said i tried to do my research before mm-hmm. doing this to try and um, be able to not just talk about my situation and what the kind of hell i put myself through yeah. dealing with all this but to try and inform give facts and information that can help people to understand better differences because you're right there's so many different variations with transgender mm-hmm. and even with um, it's like you gave me a good education remember when we got texting and trying explain to me the difference with pansexuals mm-hmm. polysexuals and things like that there's so many variations that even i'm not aware of and i'm part of the lgbtq community yeah. you know and there's so much changes going on and so much more openness with people coming out with variations like non-binary mm-hmm. you know this is another new area that there's so much variations to things and that's exactly it and that's another thing that i've because you know at first i was very i think just as humans we very much want like a definitive black and white answer about you know what does this mean here's the definition what does this mean here's the definition and something that i have learned more recently and especially here in pride month um with just the like vast awareness that's been made to me and to others is that Um, There doesn't have to be a black and white definitive answer. I think it's just a matter of, you know, you um, feeling the most comfortable living your authentic life. I I love, I don't know where I first heard that kind of saying, but um, I think it's the most 
important thing that just us as humans should um, kind of strive to achieve. And I think people are, are worried for my, my personal opinion, this is just me talking about me um, worried about, well, do I consider myself bisexual? Am I pansexual? Am I, you know, I, I don't know. And as long as I'm happy and doing what's right by the people that I love and care about, um, you know, I'm not as worried about exactly what the definition is. Uh, you know, I know that there's a community out there that loves and supports me. Um, but it is really great for people who are just so kind of confused and these are new feelings and thoughts to them and they don't really know where to go that there are, there are words, there are definitions out there that they can, even if they identify with multiple because they, you know, aren't sure which one really fits. Um, I just don't want people to get hung up on having to pick one. You know what I mean? There's no one that's like making you stamp it on your ID or something. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, there's just, I think it's important to remember that there's so much fluidity in the LGBT IA plus community. Uh, and that's okay. You don't have to pick one. You can have them all. <laughs> um, so moving forward then from that first time that you kind of realize like, Hey, there's other people out here who are feeling the way that I'm feeling, you know, what does that mean? When did you start finding a community and, and really sort of, you know, when did you start finding people, other people that were like you and, and tell me about that a little bit. Oh, that was, that was way, way many, many years later. Mm -hmm. um, not until the early 2000s. That, um, because that's when I started going to therapy. Yes, I love therapy. A little bit. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the letter I read. And right. So, and Landis answers the question. So that started to lead me to think, so this is what I am. I'm a cross-dresser that must be what I am. Okay. At least now I have an answer of what I am. It doesn't mean that it helped me feel guilty and feel, I don't want to say anger, but I was frustrated with myself because there was this image of me that people saw that they expected me to be, which I tried to be, and I was horrible at being it and feeling miserable that I couldn't be what people saw me as. Mm -hmm. But at least I had, I, I thought I had an answer, mm -hmm. at least of what I am. At least it kind of helped explain it a bit for me. Okay. But then a little bit later on, and I don't remember if it was something I saw in the newspaper or a magazine article or something on television. I heard about this person named Christine Jorgensen. Mm-hmm. She was a man who actually went through a series of operations and became a woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, what? <laughs> like, that's huh? a thing? I can do that? Let's, let's back this up a moment. What? <laughs> Christine Jorgensen started out life as a man named George Jorgensen. Mm -hmm. And he tried to lead, I guess, as normal life as he could, but apparently, starting from an early age for him, he had gender issues within him. Mm -hmm. Now, the, he was born in the 20s. So the 1940s comes along. World War II breaks out. He gets drafted into the army. And, you know, he goes over to Europe and he fights against the Nazis. When the war ends and he comes home, 
the, the feelings he had within him about wanting to be a girl became so great that he finally went to seek therapy on it. Mm-hmm. And that's when he found out that he had this condition called gender dysphoria. And that's the first time I'd heard that term or read that term. He had to make a decision, which he did. He decided he wanted to go have the surgery. He wanted to transition himself into a woman. There was a doctor at the time over in, I want to say, I think it was Denmark, who was doing work, doing research on this kind of thing and had been, um, I guess, performing some of these operations. So George Jorgensen went to this doctor over in Denmark. He got permission from the Danish government to go ahead and let this doctor do. And back then, it was a series of operations. Nowadays, when you're doing the surgery, male to female surgery, it's all done in one step. Back then, it was still something new, something that they were still developing. So it was done in a series of operations. Okay. Okay. It was three operations altogether. The first two he had done in Denmark. Then he came back to the United States where he would have the final surgery done. Well, in the process of all this happening, somehow the press got a hold of this. They Mm -hmm. heard about what was going on, and then this blew up into a big story. Right. You know, I mean, the headlines, you know, uh, war veteran becomes blonde bombshell, all these kind of headlines. (laughs) It was. Oh, wow. It was a. (laughs) big big deal about the, this is a, a veteran of the second world war he went over to europe and helped defeat the nazis and everything and that's kind of cute to become a woman blonde bunch so, of it's cute yeah so christine at this point now she's had her name changed to christine jorgensen <laughs> she i mean she was outed without ever saying a word she never had to say anything hey guess what it was outed. Right. it was found out so she just played with it she just rolled with it when she landed back in the united states she turned it into a career when you know she went on to become an entertainer a singer and a little bit acting in that she just had fun with it instead of letting the press ambush her she just rolled with it to her credit that's awesome yeah now a lot of people mistakenly think that she was the first person to ever have the surgery okay she's not she was the first american on record to have had the surgery the first, okay uh, the first uh, now back then they called it sex change operation mm-hmm. you know, now you call it grs gender reassignment surgery or even sex reassignment surgery whichever term you want to use mm-hmm. uh, the first ones were actually performed back in the 1930s wow in germany yes okay the very first person on record um name was lily elba Okay. Um, and she had always, she was born like in 1882, for God's sake. So you know, she really didn't have any kind of. I can't even imagine. Imagine. And she met this girl. They fell in love. They got married. In fact, there was a movie made a few years ago about this person. Oh. His wife would have him dress up in women's clothes and she would paint portraits of him dressed as a woman. And this is where he, I guess, finally realized that he was, in a sense, transgendered because he enjoyed it and he wanted to stay dressed like a woman and be a woman. Do you happen to remember the name of the movie? I kind of want to watch it. Um, 
I'm trying to think of it and I can't remember and I forgot to try and look it up. And That's okay. You said Lily Elba was the name? The, 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 Lily Elba was the name of the, the person who had the surgery. Okay. I can definitely look it up yeah. from that probably. But anyway. Yeah, anyway. So she finally, and with her wife's approval, I guess, went to a doctor and began the whole process of going through the transition because he said, yes, we've been researching it. We think we know the technique to do, to perform the surgery. If you're willing to try it, we'll do it. At that time, it was like a series of five different surgeries you had to go through to complete the transformation from male to female in the surgery. Tragically, she died. The last of the five surgeries was performed in 1930. And tragically, she died in 1931 from complications from that surgery. Mm. But she was the first that's on record to have had the actual surgery itself. Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, the movie is The Danish Girl, by the way. Yes, thank for you. Those that, yes, for those that are... Uh, yeah, it came out in 2015, and um, I remember when this movie came out, but I don't think it caught my attention enough to realize what it was about. So I'm definitely going to go and see if I can find it on Netflix or something and watch it. If you guys are interested, uh, The Danish Girl. Looks like it is on Netflix, so we can watch it on Netflix. 1930. Yeah. Yes, 1930. That's when the first... And the first surgery was done in 1930. It went through from, I guess, like beginning in 1930 through the end of it. Like I said... Back then, it was still very experimental. It hadn't been done yet. So it wasn't done in all one shot, mm -hmm. like what I went through when I had it. It was a series of operations. And like I say, unfortunately, it was the last one where some complications took place, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure what that was, but she ended up dying from that complication. When I heard about Christine Jorgensen, that really then caused some confusion for me, I guess. Sure. Like, so am I a cross-dresser or am I possibly this, uh, uh, do I, or do I want to have the surgery to change my sex? Mm -hmm. Because again, remember, I always thought, why wasn't I a girl? Why couldn't I be a girl? Right. And how old were you around this time? Um, do you remember? Probably like around 15 or so. Okay. I think when I first heard about Christine Jorgensen. Okay. And then, of course, not too long after that, the big news story was... Uh, Renee Richard, who was, uh, she started out in life as Richard Raskin. And he was one of the, he was uh, English, one of the top eye surgeons in the world. And he was one of the top amateur tennis players in the world. Okay. Um, and he had gender dysphoria. And he went through all of the surgeries needed mm -hmm. to become Renee Richards. And then that became a big news thing because now she wanted to compete competitively in tennis as a woman against women. And this would cause a big controversy that eventually the, the governing body for uh, tennis association, whatever they're called, mm -hmm. uh, allowed her to be able to play against women. That's interesting you bring that up because you're the one who told me a lot about or told me about a lot of these um, laws that are trying to be passed right now. For If you guys haven't listened to the last episode that I recorded um, for Mental Health Awareness Month about trans kids and, and youth and sports, 
Um, there's a lot of laws right now that are trying to stop right here in Florida. We just passed one. Our wonderful governor yeah. just passed one. Yeah. Very exciting. Not we have to fight this, but and on that's the very first yeah. Day of Pride Month too, on the very first day. What a gem of a human, right? <laughs> and then the next day, he passed another law cutting off fundings for the victims and families of people who were killed during the Pulse yeah. uh, massacre, so depriving them now of being able to come to terms with their loss. <sighs> that was on day two. But yeah, you were saying that um, they, let, they did let her compete? They did. They did let her compete. Now, the thing is about it is, and I, I guess... It's too far back for me to remember all of the details, but the reason why they let her play mm -hmm. is because, I mean, she had she didn't just like have the surgery. Okay, now I'm ready to compete as a mm -hmm. tennis player. Mm -hmm. She had gone through the whole procedure with the surgery, which included before you even have the surgery itself. It includes where you go on what they call HRT, hormone replacement therapy, where you begin taking hormones for the sex you're going to become. So if you're a guy looking to transition into a woman, you start taking estrogen mm -hmm. to, to help develop. But he had been on this for quite a while before he had the surgery. It's a lifelong thing. I take, obviously, hormones, and it's something I'm going to have to take for the rest of my life. So he had, she, now I should say, had been on hormones for quite a while. And the physical changes that the hormones did to her let the governing body for tennis say, well, okay, there's been enough changes physically because of the hormones. We'll let her play. Gotcha. And, you, know, you know, and of course, if it, oh, well, she's going to beat all these top women competition, you know, some of the best, biggest names in women's tennis, and this is going to be a slaughter. Mm -hmm. She had an average career as a professional tennis player. Yeah, she won a few times, but she lost too. Sure. It, it, you know, the changes that the hormones did to her changed that she didn't have that advantage because she used to be a man and just to clarify sorry to interrupt um back when like there was the very first transgender surgery there probably wasn't any hormones then right was it just or were there do you know i don't know i'm not sure okay. on that because just the, the thought the i had i found about it uh, you know talked about what she went through you know going through being interviewed and being determined that yes she was a candidate to be able to have this and go mm -hmm. through the surgery itself but it didn't go into the details of did she go on to hormones and things like that i would yeah. assume that would probably be the case but i can't say that that's absolute certain that they that started up. doing that then or somewhere down the road as they were developing and improving on the techniques they decide well you know what they need to be on the hormones to begin with before we even do this because it makes things easier right right just imagining not being on any kind of hormone whatsoever and then suddenly having this you know like physical surgery i'm like oh i feel like that would be a lot once i made the decision the first thing i had to do was to go on the hormones before right. i would do anything else and live as a woman for a certain length of time, even mm -hmm. um, what they called real life. Uh, they called real life test, and to make sure that you're feeling comfortable that this feels right for you. And only once you say yes, I feel comfortable as dressing and living openly as a woman. Only then will they consider then for you to have the surgery. I. I assume that things may be the same nowadays. A lot's changed since I had my surgery. 
a lot has changed. And that wasn't even, I mean, if you look at the timeline, it wasn't even that long ago. So a lot has changed. Yeah. Yes. Well, the biggest change to me is the fact that um, even now I had my surgery in 2003 Mm -hmm. in Thailand, Mm -hmm. um, which that amazed a lot of people. When I went to to the therapist and I knew really what the therapist was going to say and he confirmed that, yes, you have gender dysphoria. If you want to do it, you would be a candidate for the Mm -hmm. surgery. Well, there was no thinking about it because I'd reached that point in life where I had mentally beaten myself up so much thinking that I was worthless and Mm. feeling like I was a total failure at everything in life because I couldn't be the person that I was expected to be Mm -hmm. from birth. And as hard as I tried, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't deny the feelings that I feel like I should have been born a girl. Yeah. So there was no decision for me there. I, the doctor said, it's your choice. I said, yep. But before I could even finish the question. I, I don't want to go through this anymore. Mm-hmm. What I've already put myself through. Because I, even, if, even today, I still carry some of those mental scars of what I did to myself growing up. Mm-hmm. And emotional scars growing up. Yeah. Trying to fight what I was feeling and trying to be what I was expected to be. Mm-hmm and not being good at it. So when I made the decision, the doctor said, well, okay, we're going to start you on hormones. There's actually three different kinds that I take. And um, he recommended a doctor to me who actually specialized in dealing with the gay community and okay. you know, with dealing with AIDS and things like that. But he had had some experience dealing with transgender individuals male to female transgender so the the, uh, therapist recommended him to me i set up the appointment i went in i showed him the letter from my therapist saying yes i'm a candidate to go on to hormone replacement therapy Mm -hmm. he got me started and i swear i started the journey so for about a year i was on hormones before i even thought about having surgery and of course, I was still going to see this therapist a little bit here, talking about things, talking about when I was ready. He felt I was ready really right off from the beginning because, it, see, now in 2003, I was 47. Is it? Yeah, 47. So I'd been dealing with this for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, based on what I was telling him, how I was feeling, what it was like growing up, dealing with the thoughts and feelings I had about wanting to be a girl, there was no doubt in his mind Mm -hmm. that I had gender dysphoria and I was a candidate for the surgery. Well, you need to decide if you're going to have the surgery, who do you want to have do it for you? So then Mm -hmm. I began researching, looking at all the different, reading comments from those who have had the surgery before me, where they went, who the uh, doctor was that did their surgery, what their experience was, and trying to, and also by this point, I had met and become friends with other transgendered women. 
And was that just through your research or how did you connect with them? Okay, backtrack a little bit then. (laughs) Towards the end, before I finally gave in and said, yes, this is what I am, I tried to, in a sense, make a bargain with myself. I was trying so hard to deny my gender dysphoria. I was trying so hard still at this point, trying to be this guy that I'm supposed to be and being a failure at it, but I'm trying so hard. Mm -hmm. So I tried to make this deal with myself. All right, we'll forget about this whole thing that I'm gender dysphoric. I'm not, I'm not going to change myself. I'm a cross-dresser. Yeah, okay. Occasionally I like to dress up like a woman and, you know, wear the makeup and everything and be feminine and that's all I am. Mm -hmm. So there is an organization called Tri-S and this is an organization for cross-dressers okay. it's an organization for where for many cross-dressers they don't they feel uncomfortable being a, dressing up like a woman and going out in public because they look too obvious they're afraid that people are going to recognize right away hey that's a guy in a dress okay so Tri-S was created so it gives them a safe haven where there's they set up chapters around the country they're all around the country mm-hmm. cross-dressers out there listening to this if you're interested just Google TRIS, T-R-I-E-S-S. stands for the Society of the Second Self. I love that. Yeah. And, and so there was actually in Orlando, there was a chap, TRIS chapter. I assume they're still there in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at this point, through my previous job, when I worked for the state of Florida um, with Highway Patrol, I met a tow truck driver who was one of our regulars whenever we had a crash and we needed to have the car towed okay. to come out. Turns out he was a cross-dresser. And I don't remember how we ever got into that whole conversation. Wow. Yeah, I think it was because, it, it, actually, I think if I remember, is at that point, I was starting to dress and live full-time as a woman. Okay. Which means I was... <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole story there. I, I totally forget it. While I was working for Highway Patrol, that's the story <laughs> in itself. <laughs> that's around the time that we met, because I met you before, and then, yeah. Yep. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So I think that's how we got into the conversation. He said, well, you know, I'm a cross-dresser. I said, really? He said, I'm a member of this organization called Society for this. The Tri-S, Society, it stands for Society of the Second Self. Mm-hmm. He said, would you like to come to a meeting sometime? You can come as my guest. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, why not? Let's, because I had not had any experience meeting openly, knowing anyway with anybody who was transgendered or a crossdresser or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was my chance to get to meet people who are in the same situation as me. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, the next meeting is going to be this date. He said, um, give me your address. Now, also, too, I should mention with Triad, it's not just for guys who want to be able to go out and feel in a safe, comfortable environment, go to meetings where they can dress and be themselves. Mm-hmm. Many of these men are married or they have girlfriends at least. Mm-hmm. And for these wives and girlfriends, here's an issue that they're dealing with where they got a husband or a boyfriend who wants to wear women's clothes and that. Mm-hmm. also gives support to these wives and women. So when they have these meetings, the guys don't only come 
the wives come and they'll have a separate meeting for the wives and the girlfriends That's to help awesome. them understand about um, their husbands and the cross-dressing and they and you know there are a bunch of other things they'll talk about too but it's a support group for them as well Right. I think that's something that gets lost is support for the supporters, people that need help, understanding how they can be more supportive to their spouses, their best friends, their siblings, their parents. Um, that's awesome that that is available to them, too. Yes. Yeah, and and it's, I've heard it said before, too, that sometimes these meetings are really more for the benefit of the wives and the girlfriends <sighs> than it is for the husbands. I can see that. Yeah, because, cool. you know, like I say, they're, they're the ones that have to deal with seeing this. And, you know, some of the wives were very supportive. They had no problem with it. Sure. Some of the wives, it was difficult for them even to come to the meetings. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, they'd come and the help they would get is from those wives who would be accepting. And especially, excuse me, especially if... <clears throat> This is something that's been gone going for quite some time, and so that they've become used to it. Mm -hmm. Not a problem with seeing their husbands dressed as a woman. Mm -hmm. They could help these women who are still trying to deal with it, who might be new to having this happen to them, mm -hmm. to understand and hopefully to be able to accept it and say, hey, you're not alone. Right. You're going through these feelings seeing your husband dressed as a woman. Guess what? I had through those same feelings too. It took me some time to get used to it and to understand yeah. it. Now, I go to this meeting with this, this guy who had become friends with and his wife. Mm -hmm. We get there. Now, again, this is an organization for male cross-dressers. And you remember what we talked about, the difference between cross-dressers and transgender. Right. So we get to the meeting. And we're talking, and I find out during this, this meeting, not all of the men who go to these organizations are just cross-dressers. There are many who are actually questioning their sex, not their sexuality, their gender. And some of these men actually do have gender dysphoria, and they do want to transition eventually and become women. Trias keeps this very secret and they make it clear to any of the male members who join, if this is the situation, you have to keep it quiet. You can't talk openly about this because this kind of thing, if you start saying, oh, yeah, I, I want to go have the surgery. I want to become a woman. That's enough to frighten the women who are going to these meetings for the support. Wow. You know, so yeah. you have to keep it quiet. If you talk about it, you go outside and you're off in a distance and you're talking hush hush. They don't want this coming out. That, that oh my gosh! Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I met a couple of uh, ladies, women there, who yeah, they admitted that they were looking into the possibility of wanting to transition. They felt they had gender dysphoria. They wanted. To, they were talking about wanting to find a therapist and. Um, go through the whole process to begin going on hormones and mm -hmm. eventually having surgery. So this was a real eye opener for me. I mean, I'm just here as a guest. I'm, you know, I was invited to come and I was loud and I, and I mean, I'm all dressed up myself. Right. I'm all, you know, 
it was actually during Easter time and they, they were doing like an Easter theme. You were all gussied up. I was all gussied <laughs> up. Yeah, I had this nice like uh, light blue dress that I had that I just loved at the time oh. and everything. And I'm, you know, I, got, I found, bought this nice wig and I was perfect with the makeup and everything, put on the face. Oh, I, you know, I mean, I went the whole nine yards. <laughs> I love that. So I ended up joining and, you know, it's a monthly meeting. So every month I would go to the meetings and that's where I really started to get to know others, not just cross-dressers, but obviously others in the transgender community and, you know, starting to compare notes about how we felt, um, talking about where would you go for the surgery? When do you want to start? Are you there yet? Are you too still? Are you still too scared to want to do it? So we, it was almost like we had a little subgroup within the group within the group, right? And, and you know, and again, we're we're having to be very careful when we talk. So a lot of times too, we just shared emails and phone numbers, and we do all of this a lot of the times too away from the meeting. We wouldn't discuss mm-hmm. it during the meeting again right. to protect, you know, the women hearing things like this. Mm-hmm. So. That compromise I made with myself. Well, I'm just a cross-dresser. I'm not. I'm not. I don't really have gender dysphoria. I just think I do. That went out the window real quick. Oh yeah. Um, it was obvious in talking with these these gals, these these women. I mean, I, I considered them women, even though they were still biologically, or physically at least, men. Let's face it. I have gender dysphoria. I'm I'm transgender, mm-hmm. and that's when I finally decided to. Um, find a therapist and and start the whole process now now this was around 2001 when i joined trias and it was in 2002 that i got a therapist started the whole procedure there you know there were different kinds of tests you went through psychological tests um as well as talking with the therapist himself um but like i said he was for him it was very easily early on. He, he could tell. So in 2002, late 2002, that's when I started looking into having the surgery. And that's when I started doing the research. And I was talking with the, these, the, the women with Trias, you know, well, have you thought about who you'd want to have the surgery with? And I also got the chance to start meeting individuals through them, um, male to female transgenders who had gone through the surgery, who have okay. been living for some time. So mm-hmm. I was starting, I'd go visit with them. I'd start picking their brains, finding right. out where they went. So as I'm starting to whittle away and figure out who would I want to have do the surgery for me, cost certainly was a big factor because Back then, and still, I think, to a large part today, although apparently some insurance companies might be starting to pay to have the surgery. But even back then, in 2003, if you wanted to have the surgery, you had to come up with the money yourself. It was coming out of your pocket. Insurance companies were not going to touch this because they didn't see it as essential. It was Mm -hmm. even though you had a therapist saying this person has gender dysphoria, they need to transition into, into well, whether male to female, female to male, whatever. 
they need to do this because of gender dysphoria. The insurance companies, that's not good enough for them. They're not going to do it. So you had to come out of pocket. So then that became a factor for me is I had to figure out how am I going to pay for all this if I'm going to do it. And I wanted to do it. I was tired of the conflict within me and tired of dealing with all these feelings and the beating myself up mentally. So I put out a loan on my, I was, I owned the condo. You remember the condo I had? I do. Yeah. I put out a, a, a loan on that to be able to pay for the surgery. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I ever yeah. asked you about that. No. I, and <laughs> Nobody has. I mean, there's a lot of things here I'm telling <laughs> you that nobody's ever asked me. I, I mean, this is, this is, this is all open. I'm telling you things that I've, even with the, my coworkers and friends who have asked me questions, they've never asked me things like this where I'm going into the details, what I had to do to save myself in a sense. To save yourself. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Well, and I don't mean that in the sense of, and this is important to bring up too, that I ever contemplated suicide because mm-hmm. obviously suicide is a big issue in the trans community. Absolutely. For those that um, say they don't have the money, they don't have the financial means to be able to have the surgery and the frustration that they go through, for some, it comes so great not being able to deal with being mm-hmm. transgendered and not being able to do anything about it. You know, for some, they've at least attempted suicide and tragically there are many that have uh, succeeded in committing suicide because for Mm -hmm. them that was the only way they knew to get out of feeling the way they did. Tragically, you really see a lot of suicides among transgender is with the kids, especially if they're in a situation with a family that doesn't understand and won't support them. And then tragically, there have been situations where families have kicked their kids out of the house get out of this house. You're a pervert. We don't want anything to do with you anymore. This is your child and you're kicking them out of the house. So now they're out on the street and how are they going to take care of themselves? And bringing that up, I, that kind of inspires me to do a little more research on um, organizations that are out there to kind of take in or to support um, you know, youth that is feeling this way, even if they haven't been kicked out, but maybe somewhere that they can go. So um, if you guys listening know of any of these uh, organizations, please reach out to me because I would love to be able to post that on my Instagram. I can put it in the description of this podcast. Um, but I don't want anyone anywhere ever to feel like there's not somewhere that they can go if they feel like home isn't a safe option for them. So I definitely be researching those, uh, those organizations. Yes. That, and if you can find them, post them someplace. So that- Will do. And, you know, these organizations, again, and this is something I mentioned earlier, it's not just important for the kids, but this can, they can be very helpful for the parents to help them to understand and to help them deal with their child. Remember the one video I sent you talking about the father, talking about um, his, his daughter? Mm-hmm, yep. And remember how emotionally he got because he admitted that when his son came to him and said and told him how he felt that he was transgender, it was hard for him. But he learned and he educated himself and he talked with other parents, I would assume, mm-hmm. that have gone through the same thing to help him 
to where, as he was talking in front of the city council, I think it was the city council, I'm not sure who it was he was talking in front of, but right. he was calling his child, my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, he had come to understand and accept that he never really had a son. He had a daughter and it was hard, but he, he come to understand it. And there are organizations out there that'll help these parents to understand. That was that one video is just very touching to me, how he's talking about his daughter. Mine, so yeah, me too. Then he talks about how his daughter was a son. Mm-hmm. And how his son came to him. And it was hard for him. He, he if I remember right, he said he kind of rejected it at first. Yeah. And that's understandable. But right. the fact was he was willing to sit and listen and seek help and advice and talk with other parents who had been through the same thing that he was now going through. And yeah, and that's exactly it is just um it's okay to to be confused and and feel um you know like you don't understand and even be angry about it in the beginning about anything in life but if you're um willing to be open and admit that you've changed your mind or at least be open enough to you know educating yourself so many people out there just get so angry and hateful towards things that they don't understand um instead of just at least trying to you know they they don't even know what they don't understand because they don't want to learn more about it and he was like i don't get this and it's not something i want to get but i love my child and i'm willing to learn more well you know i think the initial reaction by him is that he wants to protect his child he feels like he may have felt like that his his son was confused and he wants to protect him he's he's got a problem here you know, it's the natural reaction for any parent. Your child comes to you and says, I've got a problem. You want to protect them. You want to help them. You want to do whatever you can to make whatever is wrong right. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that was his initial reaction. And that's why he was kind of resistant at first. But the thing was, he was open-minded enough in trying to find help that he was able to start learning mm-hmm. and understand. And to the point, like I said, it just amazed me how he he referred to his child as my daughter Mm -hmm. reached that point where he was totally accepting hi kids janet and i still have so much more to talk about so stay tuned next week for part two of this episode that's right this is a first in real talk redhead podcast history this is a two-part episode i hope you've enjoyed this episode so far and if you want to hear even more about growing up transgender and what things were like then versus now please stay tuned next week for part two of this episode i love you guys